Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Knowledge Group podcast. I'll be your host, AJ Gibson. Today, we'll be reviewing some key takeaways from our latest webcast on antitrust law. Our first segment begins with Craig Benson from Paul Weiss, Rifkin, Wharton, and Garrison LLP, along with Michael Osborne from Castles, Brock, and Blackwell LLP, discussing cartels and anti-competitive agreements. My key points would would focus on the the fluidity and change that we are seeing in the face of, you know, an increasingly global and data and service driven world as these markets continue and and industries really continue to evolve, um, and they look less like the established manufacturing industries that have been the subject of a lot of the cases and agreements that. Um, that have that have built up the law in this area. It will be interesting to see uh, whether courts determine that more flexibility is necessary before concluding that a particular type of restraint is sufficiently similar to one of the per se categories that is entitled to treatment. The Kemp case puts it in sharp relief. The movement on no poach agreements is yet another example. Uh, you know, going in the other direction with the DOJ declaring that they are not only entitled to per se treatment, but also uh, to criminal prosecution. And we are seeing that some procedural mechanisms are being reformed, like the new service standard for summonses uh, in recognition of the changing global nature of business and commerce and the, the practicalities of international communication. Great stuff. And uh, and Michael, do you want to give us sort of one or two points that you feel are, are pertinent from today's webcast? Yes. Yeah, so um, uh, as I said before, we are in a sense um, in Canada waiting to see what uh, the new commissioner, once uh, a commissioner is appointed, is going to do by way of enforcement priorities. Um, but at the same time, we can expect that uh, the Competition Bureau is going to become more active in investigating and uh, uh, prosecuting cartels. Uh, they are going to solve the problems that we uh, that we saw with the prosecutions that uh, uh, failed, and they're going to become more active in the area than they have been over the last couple of years. So for companies uh, that are thinking that suddenly Canada is, is an okay place to fix prices, uh, I think they would likely get a surprise. Um, and uh, indeed, uh, the, probably the best thing that, that firms can do right now in, in uh, thinking about the Canadian market is to, uh, to ensure that their compliance programs are uh, properly in place and so forth and address Canadian law um, so that when uh, things do ramp up again, uh, they aren't caught uh, uh, all of a sudden uh, with their hands in the cookie jar, as it were. Our second segment includes James Rillinger from the Federal Trade Commission, Emily Cotton from the Analysis Group, and Dr. Gabriella Monahova from NERA Economic Consulting, discussing the HSR Act and the various stages of merger investigations. Key takeaways are that economists have an important role to play in each phase of the HSR investigation. I think having an open conversation with the staff in the investigating agencies, both the lawyers and the economists, can um, be an efficient way to move the process 
forward for your clients. Um, we talked about a lot of interesting analytical approaches here. I think one thing from the agency's perspective is getting access to the backup data and the assumptions that drive that analysis um, as quickly as possible is a great way to move this forward quickly because, again, I think there's a lot of good things that can be done with data. We want to make sure that um, both sides have kind of a full understanding of how that how that analysis was done. Emily Cotton. Sure. So I think, you know, building on what, what James said, I agree, you know, this should really be an ongoing dialogue throughout the entire process where you have economists involved on, on both sides of the transaction from the agencies and from um, the party side. And I think, you know, it's important to have clean data that, you know, everybody is able to kind of comprehend and understand. And then to make sure that, you know, you have a full understanding of the fundamentals of the industries so that the inputs to all of your merger analyses are, are correct. And so I think, you know, that kind of comes back to some of the analyses we put up today. Um, just really making sure that the fundamentals um, underlying those analyses and the data going into the analysis um, is correct, and that may mean it comes from a, a non-traditional source. And Dr. Gabriella Manahova. Thank you. I'll echo those remarks. Um, absolutely. Um, it's definitely, in my experience, been uh, a, a very a productive and, and fruitful uh, collaboration with the agencies when um, there are open communications, when, when data are being shared uh, and uh, are being shared in a, in a manner that would allow the agencies to uh, replicate our analyses, test them, tweak them to get comfortable with them. Um, and I'll also echo what Emily said in that uh, our main value as economists is to uh, to work uh, with the materials, the documents and data and the um, the information and the insights that we get from talking to industry participants to really understand the marketplace, understand the key facts that, uh, that motivate a, a, a merger transaction and to highlight what are, what are, which of these facts are really important to answer the relevant antitrust questions and help um, help uh, the um, staff at the agencies um, focus on those questions and have the tools at their disposal to test um, uh, test the analysis that was performed to, um, to to answer those questions. For our third segment, we'll be hearing from David Reckingberg from Cozen O'Connor and Timothy Snail from Charles River Associates, discussing antitrust class actions. I would say an important thing to watch out for in class actions is the degree to which a, there can be members of a class that were not allegedly impacted by the allegations. This is a question that the Supreme Court explicitly did not uh, seek to answer in the Tyson Foods case uh, and isn't so the question is, are you grouping all of these class members together, and there are ones that you can identify that likely were not impacted, uh, is that a problem for the class? Uh, there actually was a point in the Tyson case where it appeared the parties agreed that if there was a problem where people could not be harmed, that that would pose a problem for the class, but it, it didn't it express in that. So key point is uh, when you're, if you happen to find yourself in a class action setting, are there people for whom they wouldn't be in the class at all, but for the allegations? Um, or are there people who are not being 
address. And apart from that, make sure you know your judge and your circuit because how Comcast and Tyson and Walmart are being interpreted can vary widely by, by circuit. Excellent. Thank you so much. Final remarks from you, Timothy? Yes. Thank you, Elizabeth. I discussed how recent class actions have focused on exchange of competitively sensitive information other than price, territories, and output. Uh, in matters going forward, a number of issues are likely to arise, such as whether the agreements are ancillary to a legitimate collaborative project, whether a per se rule of reason or quick look standard applies, and for no poaching agreements in particular, whether the agreements are justified by investments in specialized employee training and protection of trade secrets and confidential information. In the franchise context, whether a single entity defense is appropriate in no poaching matters. And at certification, whether employee compensation is highly individualized, whether the alleged conspiracy would benefit some class members, even if it harmed others. Our fourth and final segment includes I Deng, PhD, from Bates White, and David Jevons from Oxera, discussing pricing algorithms and collusions. Of course, I think uh, Dave and I offer the do's and don'ts advice. I think that's, uh, those are the most important takeaway. Uh, but let me quickly just say this. I think this is a very exciting emerging area of antitrust. Uh, there are still many interesting questions that we do not have the time to cover today. Uh, for example, one of my current research projects is to examine the so-called compliance by design, the idea being that if a robot, if a robot can be made to break the law, uh, can we make a robot to obey the, ro obey the law automatically as well? Now, I, I would say that what also makes this a very exciting area of antitrust is just the constant technological advances, right? You know, new ideas are going to appear, update, uh, even change our understanding today. Uh, I think this is why I think we in the antitrust community uh, may want to keep an eye on the AI developments as well so we can be proactive and really be prepared to address challenges ahead of us. David Jevons. Thank you. Yes, I, uh, I'd agree with I. I mean, it's, it's, this is, uh, as we've moved from an era of humans setting prices and, and using their judgments through to um, uh, algorithms using the date, live data on both consumers but also on their competitors, um, I think this is going to require a rethink in the way that competition authorities think about, the pro about how competition works in some markets in particular. Um, in many cases, I think this sort of software is likely to be pro-competitive and lead to efficiency gains, lower prices for consumers, easier entry into markets. However, it is clear that there are um, risks as well and that we, um, uh, the antitrust community, uh, as I was talking about, needs to develop the ways in which we can test these algorithms uh, to ensure that they are compliant um, with antitrust legislation, but also with other legislation within the, the sector with which the um, uh, pricing algorithm is working. Thank you for listening to our antitrust law update. Make sure to visit theknowledgegroup.org and use coupon code PODCAST25 to receive 25% off your next webcast purchase. If you have any questions, please see the full details in the description below. And with that, all of us from the Knowledge Group would like to wish everyone a good day, and we hope to see you soon.